And I'll let you guys sit where you're going. It's like, no, this is where I sit every week, man. So you cannot tell us to move. It's like, oh, maybe I should just move down there. But it is what it is, man. We're going to get into the Word in a little bit. But, you know, as I was uh, just thinking about today and uh, about tonight and, and then about next week and just thinking a lot, man. It's kind of dangerous for me sometimes to think a lot, but... Um, just kind of with all the stuff that's kind of going on in our world, if you kind of listen to the news, you know all the terrorism that's kind of happening. And um, Again, we are in the last days, and things are just escalating more and more. And, uh, and even in thinking about all that stuff, I, I, you know, just contemplating, going, Lord, how do we give thanks here, you know? Because next week we're not going to be meeting your thanksgiving day and we won't be here and it's like it's a day of thanksgiving but our life should be a life of thanksgiving but when all of these things are happening in our world and you know we kind of look around we're going man it just seems hopeless you know with all the stuff that goes on it's like how do we as believers give thanks well the bible tells us that we are to give thanks always to, to never cease from giving thanks. We are to be a thankful people to God. You know, we, it's, it's hard for us sometimes to, to give thanks when we, give, when we see all this stuff going on. But, you know, for, for just who God is, be thankful. We've got to be thankful. And, and again, I don't know what's going on in your life, you know, uh, what's affecting you right now. But again, just stuff around us um, can bum us out. And can just get us into a place of going almost despair. But before we get into our study in Second Samuel, I want to just take some time and pray. And I know that we can pray for the things of the world and, and, and what's going on right now, and we could. But what I want to be able to focus on, too, is you know that you would pray just a prayer of thanksgiving tonight. Thanking Him for, for, for the littlest things to the biggest things in your life right now. But I want to be able to give God thanks regardless, you know, of what's going on. You know, when, when we think of the Word of God and all that happened throughout history that we can read about, it's like, man, there was times of despair for the children of Israel. The time of despair in the book of Acts to some of the Christians and stuff like that. And yet they always were exhorted, comforted to give thanks to God. When you read through the Psalms, man, it was just thanksgiving after thanksgiving. And so let's just spend some time to just uh, pray if the Lord lays something on your heart about what's going on in, in here in your life or in the world, pray for that. But also let's give thanks. Let's find a way to give thanks to the Lord for He is good. He really is. And we might not understand everything in this world and what happens in our life, but, you know, God never told us to understand it. He just told us to trust Him and to give thanks. And so I'm going to start us off in prayer. And again, I just I don't want to hurry things up, but I know I have something to share tonight as well. But I also just want to let the, the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. And if it gets quiet and nobody prays for a little bit, don't freak out. Don't feel like you have to pray. If there's a moment of silence and a time of silence, it's okay. You pray in your heart. So let's pray. Mm. Lord, I do pray right now, even as uh, we enter into this time, that you would calm my heart, calm our hearts, to be able to just rest and to bask in who you are. Lord, as I contemplate, as I think um, about the stuff that's happening, Lord. Lord, I, I, I just even at this time, Lord, I want to shut down, Lord, and just, just be at your feet. And so, Lord, just prepare our hearts, Lord, for this time. truly grateful and thankful for your Holy Spirit, Lord, who continues to reside <clears throat> in this world 
Lord, I thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. And I pray that, Lord, somehow, Lord God, you would be reaching into the lives of these people who have no regard for life, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord God, will reveal himself to them in such a way, Lord God, through visions, through other people coming into their lives, that, God, you would miraculously begin to do a work in these people, Lord God, who just seem to bring destruction into a community, into a nation even. And so, Lord, you know everything. You know who they are. You know where they're at, Lord. You know what they're planning. You know all those things, Lord. And so I'm grateful and I'm thankful that you are on the throne and that you're a God who knows and and sees it all, Lord. And I know that there's times that you don't intervene and you allow things to happen, Lord, and we're not quite, we don't quite understand it, Lord. But we're thankful, Lord God, that your spirit still knows what he does. <laughs> and, uh, and so we just are, are grateful, thankful, Lord, for your Holy Spirit this evening. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Even as we get into your word, Lord, bless your time, our time together with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get going, I want to read the, the lyrics to that song that we just sang at the end, where it says, Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever, for he is good. He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn, his love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever, forever. From the rising to the setting sun, his love endures forever. By your grace, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. And it says again, forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever he is with us, forever and ever. Guys, let's not forget that, you know, in these times that we... Uh, we deal with life and we see stuff happening. Let's not forget that we are to be thankful. Amen? Okay, well, last week we got into and started the continuation of First Samuel, and that is Second Samuel. And as I shared with you last week, <clears throat> in the original Hebrew Bible, it is all one book. It's just the book of Samuel. And I'm so thankful for the breaks, for the chapters, for the verses that we do have, because it does make it easy for us to, to find our place in the Word of God. Um, and so even though all those things were added later, um, it is to our advantage. So now I can just say, hey, turn to first, or Second Samuel chapter 2, and you know exactly where we're at. If you don't know where it's at, uh, table of contents. Um, but after the death of Saul, the focus has now shifted <clears throat> to David. And Second Samuel will be all about David and his life. It, it'll take us through, through the rest of his time. We, we caught a hold of him in First Samuel um, around 15. And then we just seen him in this time frame where he was a servant, when he was serving King Saul. And so now... Um, the shift is on David. And you would think that with all that we've already looked at, at David, and how God was already preparing him for what he has for him, you would think that in all those years of preparation, it would now be smooth sailing for him from here on out. And we will see throughout this book that it is not. The other day as I was reading it, and kind of going over it, my wife asked me in the morning, you know, because part of what I had read that morning, she says, 
hey, wait, what'd you get this morning, you know, from, from, from what you read? And I said, you know, <clears throat> what I got is that when you take over something, it's not that easy. <laughs> when you're the one in charge, it's not that easy. You would think that everything would just smooth, go smooth sailing, and, and it, it just doesn't go that way all the time, you know? It's not that it, it, it goes all bad. It's just the pressures that come with being a leader, and not just in a church, but even in your family or in your job or, or wherever you find yourself, it's not always smooth sailing. <clears throat> and God prepares us for the things ahead of us, just like he was preparing David. And even through all the preparation, you would think he had it down pat, but no, it wasn't not. It wasn't not easy. And we're going to see that throughout his, his, his kingdom um, as he becomes king and takes over. But as we looked at in the, the last part of uh, 1 Samuel, David had been in a bad place in his life um, for about a year and a half. He, uh, he, he and his men and, and his, their families were living in enemy territory. And it's almost like, to me, when I think about that, it's almost like he had kind of given up on the things of God for a while, and he just kind of went into the world. He, uh, he decided to go kind of just do his own thing. And guys, I, I don't know where you've been at. I've never backslid to that point. But I know that my mind can go in crazy places, and I have to reel it back in. But he, in essence, had joined up with the enemy, with the world. He basically went back to see what was out there. And I, I was reminded of, of John chapter 6, where, where Jesus is just drawing these people in after feeding them and feeding them and, and ministering to them. And then, and then he, he wants to go deeper into their lives, and he gets so deep to where he's going, I want to be in every part of your life. And it says that many walked away. And they, walked, they, they didn't walk with him anymore. And, and he turns to his disciples, he says, do you guys also want to leave? And Peter says, where, where else shall we go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. And yet David, knowing what God had done in his life, decided to just kind of walk away for a while. Again, not seeking God the way he, he should have been seeking him. He was out doing his own thing. He was doing the things that were right in his own eyes. Because he felt like the Lord had just not come through in his timing. God had promised them something and it, just hadn't, it hadn't happened. And so he found himself in this bad place in his life. But the Lord was faithful even when he wasn't. God continued to let, let David do what he wanted to go do, but all the while, God was faithful. And, and it almost seems like David couldn't see God working, so he just thought he must not be at work. And I was just telling somebody earlier before studies, it's like, you know, when we think that God's not working, he is always at work. He never does, he never stops working. He's always working, even if we don't see it. And, and God's kind of been showing me just lately again that I don't have to understand it all. I want to understand it all. Why, why, why? And he says, I just want you to trust me. And David was in a place where he just didn't trust that God would come through. And yet God showed him grace. Even when he didn't deserve grace, God showed him grace. And God delivered him from making a huge mistake in his life. And if you remember, he had joined up with the enemy, with King, uh, whatever his name was, from the Philistines. Um, and it got to a point where he says, hey, we're going to go fight against your own people. You're with us, right? And David's going, you know what your servant can do? And he didn't answer him like, heck yeah, I'm in there, man. I'm going to go kill my people. He didn't say that. And if you remember, the higher-ups, the other kings or princesses that were there um, decided, no, we don't want him to go with us because he might get into the middle of the fight and then turn on us. And man, oh man, how is he going to gain favor but by turning on, on the enemies of Israel? And so they sent him away. Him and his men, they have to go back to Ziklag. <clears throat> and it's interesting because they weren't able to fight. 
in that battle. But when they get back to Ziklag, they, they find out that Ziklag had, had been plundered. You know, all their family had been taken captive and everything had been burnt up. And it was a sign of things to come because he had gone back to, to the enemy camp and it was almost like God saying, hey, you're through here. But because of that, um, he goes and fights this battle against the Amalekites. Now, it was in that battle between the Philistines and the nation of Israel that God saved him from being involved with the, the killing of King Saul and his sons. David's hands were clean in all of this. And again, it just kind of shows the grace of God, how he had saved him. He had protected him. Even had, in his disobedience, God still had his hand upon him. And so when it was time to come back to the Lord, the Lord answered his prayers time and time again. And so we're in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And it says, <clears throat> It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul. And have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant. For your master Saul is dead. And also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. We're, we're going to spend more time in the beginning here than at the end. Just kind of letting you know that right now. Um, but from verses 1 through 4, it said, Now it happened after this. Now it doesn't give us a timetable as to if it was the next day or a week later that when he heard the news of, that Saul and his sons had been killed in chapter 1, it, it, we, we see that, that there, there must have been a time of, of grief, a time of mourning. Oftentimes it was seven days, sometimes it was 40 days. It just depends, but, but it just kind of says here that it, it happened after this. And it might have been after some time of grieving. But we do know that when David and his men were sent back to Ziklag and they had found the, 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 the city all burnt up and their families gone. And it said that his men began to turn on him. They got upset at him. And it says that because of that, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. All, all of a sudden, this had happened in his life. All this stuff was happening. And he hadn't been really talking with the Lord. And because all of this is falling apart, his family's gone, his kids are gone, and his wives are gone, all this stuff. And the men turn, and it says that David strengthened himself. It's almost like the light clicked. And it's like, man, where, what am I doing? Where am I at? And he strengthened himself in the Lord. And it was at that time that he inquired of the Lord for direction. And right away the Lord came through. Because when he asked the Lord, where shall we go? The Lord started directing him. And then he, 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 he had this Egyptian or this, this young man who was Egyptian. Who No, was he Egyptian? Anyways, he was a young man. Malachite. He was an Amalekite. Anyways. 
from Egypt. He was the Egyptian. That told them this is the way they went. So all of a sudden, God started planning all these things for him to where they went and they found and they got everything back that, that, that had gone uh, from Ziklag. And so once, once he started asking the Lord for direction, the Lord started showing him and directing him. In other words, after not seeking the Lord for 16 months, he picked up right where he had left off. And you know, <clears throat> I think oftentimes people, when they kind of backslid a little bit, when they kind of get away from the Lord, from, from fellowship and all those kinds of things, they think that they have to start right from the beginning all over again. And I tell them, you can't be born again again. You got to just pick up where, right where you left off. Because you don't have to get into his good graces. You don't have to start doing works to get yourself back into a place where God's going to listen to you. No, you, you repent and you pick up right where you left off. And this is what I feel about David. David was in a place of rebellion, of just not wanting to, to seek the Lord. And, and when the time came that he strengthened himself in the Lord, uh, the Lord picked him up right where he, he left off and started using him and started ministering to him. So now, after getting everything back and trying to figure out what to do in and with Ziklag, then the news comes that King Saul and his sons were dead. And this was now a, a huge game changer for, for him because he knew the promises of God. He knew what God had promised him for so long. And now this person that was in the way that had the kingdom... And David knew that the kingdom had been pulled away from him, but he was still in charge. And David would never go after him. Now he's heard that he is dead and that his sons are dead. And David understands what's going on. Now, he could have just got on his horse and headed back to Israel, away from the enemy camp, and rode into town and took over the whole kingdom, saying, Hey, it's time. It's time for me to take over. Knowing that he had been anointed king so long ago, he's probably like, he could have been thinking, I finally get mine. Man, now is the time. And I'm just going to come in and clean house and I'm going to throw some weight around. And I'm going to show people what's up. But he doesn't do that. Instead, it tells us in verse 1 that he inquires of the Lord. He asks the Lord for direction. In other words, communication is back between him and the Lord. And he understands that, man, i got to ask, for what does he want me to do? I know that he has called me, the time has come, but Lord, how do I do this? What do you want me to do? Which direction do I go? Because everybody knew that the kingdom would be his. Everybody knew in the kingdom that David would take control because the word had been out there and they knew that's why Saul kept on chasing him and trying to kill him because he didn't want him to take over the kingdom but instead of going in throwing his weight around he inquires of the Lord and he didn't have to go right back to the beginning he just picked up right where he left off again and I love this, this prayer in verse 1. Because it is such a guy prayer. Such a man prayer. You know, it's almost like, shall I, go, uh, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said, go up. And David said, where should I go? Go to Hebron. <laughs> and I just think, facts, man. Just give me facts, Lord. I love this because it's like it wasn't this flowery kind of prayer that went on and on and on and it's like get to it already, you know. And and I'm not opposed to to flowery prayers, but most guys don't they they don't fluff it up, you know. They just they just like God, this is where I'm at. What do you want me to do? And I love that God just like Right to the point. Now, again, I, I don't mind flower, and, and we know that David can get into flowery prayers if you read through the book of Psalms. There's some of some of the Psalms that are very flowery, flowery, flowery. You know, they're kind of. Like, <laughs> but I love the fact that that 
prayer doesn't have to be that. It doesn't. And, and, and again, unless, unless that's, that's the way you are, you know, and I know mostly the chicks are into that, like trying to get all whatever. And guys don't always get into this flowery kind of mystical kind of everything is flowery and, and beautiful and, and stuff. And it's like, Lord, help. <laughs> unless that's, you know, if, if that's who you are and that's the way you normally are, go for it, man. Talk to God that way. I'm sure he enjoys it. Probably thinks, man, man finally a woman's praying. Because when the guys pray, they just want facts. Should I go here? Yeah. Okay, where? Over here. Because I often feel like when people are being very flowery, they're just trying to butter God up. God's going, just, just get to it. Just get to it. But look at the way this prayer goes. Shall I go up to any of the cities? Shall I go to any of the cities? And at this point, God says, yeah, to any of them. Go to any of them. And then David asked, but which one? And it's almost like God's, well, well, if you're asking which one, go to Hebron. I want you to go to Hebron. And, 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 and what I liked about this, this whole thing is that now that, that he is in communication with the Lord, he's back in the will of God. And he says, shall I go up? He goes, go. And if you are the type of person who, uh, who is inquiring of the Lord on a daily basis, if you are the type of person that, that you are reading your word like daily, on the daily, it, it's a regular thing for you. You are praying constantly. You are asking for direction all the time. Most of the time, when, when, when you are in that place and you go, Lord, I have this decision, this decision, and this one. Which one should I go for? And he says, go for it, any of them. And you're going, really? Any of them? He's like, yeah, because you've been, you've been in my will. You've been doing the things that you're supposed to do. And if you want to go this way, I will lead you and guide you. If you go this way, I will lead you and guide you. If you decide this one, you're okay. Because I know where your heart is at. And I think oftentimes people, you know, if they want to get specific, like David said, well, tell me which one. He says, you want to know which one? Go to that one. But if you went to any of them, you would be okay, David. Why? Because you're back where you're supposed to be, seeking my face, inquiring of me, the decisions that you want to make, right on. Because you've been in the right place, you've been in your word. Because again, if you're, if you're in God's word on a regular basis, then most of the decisions that you will be making is because you've been praying them through. And, and sometimes things pop up, and it's like you've got to make a decision right now, and you're going, but if you've been prayed up and read up and constantly in communication with the Lord, it's like, yeah, this is what I've, I've been praying for stuff like this. So it's almost like you're ready to jump in. And I love that about this first verse. That, that he says, which, you know, should I go to any of the cities? He says, yeah, go. And then it wasn't until he says, well, which one did the Lord give him specifics? Now, David was from Judah, which is the southern part of Israel. And, and, and the, the borderline would be somewhere just south of Ramah. And we've, no, you know, we've checked out where Ramah is at, just north of Jerusalem area. That is where the border was from. And so it was only logical for him to kind of go back and live among his people and to, to, to be able to reside in one of those cities. But which one? And he says, well, this one, go to, go to that one. God gives him permission to go back to Judah and to live in Hebron. Now, it's quite possible that his, his folks are still alive, so he brings them back from the other side of the Jordan because they're all going to gather together. His brothers were already with him. And so he relocates to Hebron. That will be his headquarters for seven and a half years, basically. And Hebron was about 25 miles north of Ziklag where he was at. And so David was not that far away from the Philistines still. He was almost still in their shadows. But David has now made uh, a, a statement by leaving Ziklag. And I wonder if Achish... The, 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 the king that was going to bat for him against the other guys. I wonder if he's feeling like, oh my gosh, 
I'm so glad that he didn't go to war with us because he would have betrayed us. Because now, once the king's dead, now he's, he's stepping in and it's like, well, Akish, what'd you think, man? This guy had already been king. I'm sure you had heard. Your intelligence has probably told you, you know, no, nah, man, this is, and, and th- maybe th- that's why the people didn't trust him. The other guys didn't trust him. But I'm sure it made Akish look kind of silly here. And so Hebron was an important Jewish city. Throughout history, it had been an important city because that, the tomb of Abraham and Sarah were there. Isaac and Rebekah were there. Right in the vicinity, Jacob and Leah. They were all buried in Hebron. And this city was, was an inheritance of, of Caleb. And Caleb, you know, he, he, he was a big man in Jewish history. Now, Abigail, one of his wives, she was married to a guy named Nabal, as we learned in chapter 25, and he was from Caleb's family. And so it's quite possible that David inherited all that guy's uh, property because of Abigail, his wife. And so Hebron was probably one of the most important cities in the southern part of Judah. So David moved there with his men and the families, and they lived in the surrounding cities around Hebron. Now, for the, for the first time in 10 years, David and his men are no longer fugitives. They could go back and not worry about Saul. And it's almost like his men had suffered with him, and now they will reign with him. And, and as I was looking at that, it's like, man, what a great p- picture of the believer with Jesus Christ. Where it says, if you, shall, if you suffer with him, you shall also reign with him. And that's what these guys were. They had, they had, for 10 years, they had suffered on the run. They had always been out, and now they were going to reign with David. And once David had settled in Hebron, the, the, the leaders of Judah, they came and they anointed him as king. And this would be the second time that David's now been anointed as king. The first time was more of a private affair when Samuel came and he called him out and he anointed him. Guys, it was probably about 15 years earlier than this situation here. So for 15 years, there had been an anointing on him and he had not fulfilled that anointing. And now it's coming to pass. 15 years in the making. 15 years is a long time to wait. (laughs) When God says, hey man, you're going to be king. And you're going, sweet, when? It's going to be another 15 years from now. It's like, what'd you let me know so early for? (laughs) But David waited. And now it was time and he would come in. He accepted the anointing from the leaders of Judah. And I, and, and, and I would say he accepted it with humility. And I say that he accepted it with humility because of what he does next. After hearing about the men of Jabez Gilead, uh, of what they had done with Saul and his sons and how they had buried him or buried them, it says that he sent messengers to this place, which was on the east side of the Jordan. And he lets them know that you are blessed of the Lord for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and you have buried him. And it's almost like he wants to give them a blessing. He says, and may the Lord, and, may, and now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. You know, it's interesting. If, if, if you just kind of were a new believer, never really ever read the Bible, never even heard the stories of, of Saul and David. And for some reason, you pick up your Bible, your new Bible, you open it up, and it falls on Second Samuel. And you just picked it up right there, and you just started reading Second Samuel chapter 1. You go into chapter 2. Now, I don't know why anybody would do that. If, if I picked it up, it's like Second Samuel. Oh, I better read First Samuel and find out why. But if you didn't do that and you just read 2 Samuel, you would think that David has just lost his best friend, his mentor. The, 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 the guy who, who, had, who had been so good and so kind to him in the way that David just exalts Saul and how he does with Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was his bestie, 
But, but if you just picked it up and you read how he talks about Samuel or Saul, you would think, man, this guy has lost his hero. And the fact that, that, that he goes to Jabez Gilead or he sends messengers, and, and these guys from Jabez Gilead, they, they were aware of what had happened between Saul and David. And their allegiance and their loyalty was for Saul because of how Saul had saved their lives years earlier. And yet all David wanted them to know is, bless you. You are blessed to the Lord. Man, you have done good in the way you've treated the dead, especially your Lord, Saul. He said, I want to bless you. I want to bless you for the kindness that you have shown. Now, if anybody had the right to be angry, to be vengeful to King Saul, and to anybody that sided with King Saul, it would be David. David could have said, hey, you guys are on their side. We're going to destroy all you guys. But you don't see that from David, and I love that from David. I love the fact that, that we can learn a lesson of someone who is able to forgive someone who has done them much harm. David is able to speak well of this man. He loved Saul, even though Saul made his life miserable. Even though Saul came after him time and time again. We see what happened last week in, in, the, in the, the, the song of, of the bow and how he just exalts this guy. And now when he goes back to these guys at Jabez Gilead, man, he is just telling him, you guys are amazing. The way you guys have done this, I want to bless you. And so he commends them. He blesses them for what they have done. And then he takes the opportunity to invite them to be on his side. And perhaps in an effort to show that they were not alone after their king had died. But it never tells us that they began to follow after David. More than likely, they stayed loyal to the house of Saul. And so in verse 8, it says, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Maonaim, uh, and he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Je- Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron, over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to uh, Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zer, um, Zeruiah, Zeruiah the, son, uh, the servants of David, went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise uh, now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, following followers of Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, the place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was very much, or there was a very fierce battle that day. And Abner and his men and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now, here in these verses, we get, we get to know two more guys, um, Abner and Joab. Both were right-hand men to, to their leaders. Both of them were commanders of, the, of their respective armies. And both of them were relatives to these guys. Abner was the cousin of Saul, 
and Joab was the nephew of David. And so it says, but Abner, um, the son of Ner, commander of the Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him to this place and made him king. Now, it was Abner who brought David to Saul after David had killed Goliath. Who had, and, and he was also with Saul when he pursued David for 10 years. And it was Abner's job to protect the king because he was the, the commander there. And if you remember that uh, Abner failed to protect the king and he was rebuked and humility, humiliated by David when, when he failed to protect the king. And so Abner, he had no special love for David. There was no love lost there. And so, so now the time has come that Saul is dead and what he is doing here is for his own benefit. Because he knew that David was supposed to be king. But he also knew that David had his own commander and Abner would not need a job anymore. And so Abner, what he's doing is going against what he knows is right. I don't know where he was at spiritually speaking in regards to the Lord. But he is in direct contradiction to the will of God because he knew that David would be king. And yet he sets Ishbosheth as the king of the northern kingdom. And basically, Ishbosheth is his puppet. He is doing all of this for his own purpose. He is taking care of number one. He is a self-seeker. He is a self-promoter. And I'm wondering, as I'm studying this today, how much influence did he have on Saul? To continue to pursue David, maybe. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about Ishbosheth, but it is clear that he was a weak ruler. He was a puppet. So much so that in 2 Samuel, in the next chapter of chapter 3, he says this, it says this about Ishbosheth, and he could not answer Abner a word because he feared him. And so there was almost this, this, this manipulation that was going on. Because it's quite possible that Ishbosheth thought, I'm not going to be king. I'm not supposed to be king. David is. Because it, it seemed like everybody else knew it, but Abner wanted to make him king. Now, Ishbosheth was certainly able or old enough to be in the army with his father and his brothers. But it is likely that he had left them at home to protect the dynasty. But it's quite possible that he was just a weak soldier, too. Now, even though most of Israel knew that David should be king someday, Abner somehow persuaded most, all the northern kingdom, the, the 11 tribes in the north, to follow after them. And, and so they had all this power, and maybe he did it because, um, or they did it because of the fear that they had for him. But this was not going to be good for Israel because it would be a divided kingdom, and Abner knew that. But somehow, he wanted the power. He had influence. And what ended up happening was the people were suffering. Now, in verses 12 to 17, it says that this, this battle kind of took place. And this has got to be one of the craziest battles that I've read in Scripture. Because I was looking up this pool of, of Gibeon, and uh, it's, it's about a 30-foot-in-diameter pool, and it goes down about 30 feet. And when it's empty, there's, there, there's a staircase that goes down to the bottom. And I'm assuming that that's where the fight was taking place. And to me, I thought, man, this is the ultimate fighting right here. This is putting them all in this big old pit with knives. And it says that it was hand-to-hand combat. And they just killed each other. And I'm thinking, this is the battle royale of all the mothers of battle royales. Because everybody was just kind of going, go, go for it. And I just thought, man, that is just nuts. And I don't know what the significance is of that, of that battle, but I don't know if this was a regular thing, but it's like, hey, man, let's just, you pick 12, you pick 12. And they're all going to die, basically, because nobody can run because they're in this big old hole, this big old pit. And they're just going to kill each other. But it seemed like right after that, the battle was going to continue. Because in verse 17 it says, So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and his men were beaten before the servants of David. Now in verse 18 it says, Now the three sons of Zuru, uh, Zuruiah 
were uh, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner. And in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left, but followed Abner. Now Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Esahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right hand or to the left and lay hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Esahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Esahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear, so that the spear came out of his back, and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place there, Esahel, where Esahel fell down and died, stood still. And so you can see what's kind of happening here. This guy is so fast. I, I, you know, I don't think Abner's running. I think he's a lot older, so I don't think he would be able to up, outrun him anyways. So it kind of seems like he might be on some kind of chariot or something. And he's just going, and this guy's just... And he's telling him, hey, man, why don't you just stop, man? There's a lot of dead bodies around. If you want something, pick it up from one of these dead guys. Pick it up and and, and do whatever you got to do, but stop following me. And he says, nope, I'm going to continue going after him. And then it's almost like uh, Abner is saying, dude, I don't, if I kill you, how am I going to face your brother? Just turn around. And he wouldn't. And it's almost like the picture in my mind as he's he's running and the chariot is going, that all of a sudden he just stops. And he just runs into the back end of, of, of his spear and he just kills him right there. And, and you're almost like, well, was Abner trying to be nice or he's just trying to save his own skin because he's thinking, man, Joab is a lot younger than I am. And if, and if, if I kill his little brother or one of his brothers, man, he's going to come after me with fierceness. But anyway, so this guy was a gazelle. And the verse 24 says, Joab and uh, Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amma, which is before Gia, by the road of the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner, became a unit, and took their stand on top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be uh, then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel any more, nor did they fight any more. Then Abner and his men went on all night, all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went to all of Bithron, and they came to Maanaim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there was missing of David's servants 19 men and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men 360 men who died. Then they took up Asahel and buried him with his father's, with, buried him in his father's tomb which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night and they came to Hebron at daybreak. So you see that the civil war has started all because Abner was self-seeking. Abner knew perfectly well what God had intended because he had been around Saul for so long. 
Abner knew and understood because, again, being the commander, being right next to Saul, he, he heard everything that was going on. He saw what Saul was battling. And he knew because of Jonathan that David should become king. But because of his selfishness, his self-seeking, the things that would benefit him, he decided to be disobedient and, and raise up Ishbosheth. And this poor guy, man, I feel sorry for Ishbosheth because he, ha- he, he has no leading qualities within him. He's just a puppet. And this guy could care less. It's his, it's his, it's his nephew, or his, yeah, his, his nephew, basically. And he's going to use him as a pawn. And as we'll see later, I mean, Abner is going to bail. Joab, we're going to see a lot about Joab. And man, man, for me, Joab's a hard guy to understand. <laughs> he's just a hard guy. And so we'll try to make sense of this guy because he will be a character throughout Second Samuel. Abner, we won't see very much longer. Uh, just so you know, you can read ahead and find out what happens to him. But again, when there's disobedience involved here, people get hurt. There was innocent people that were getting hurt. This guy, um, uh, the gazelle guy, it's almost like he, he couldn't stop from following his enemy and he got killed. Like, what if he would have just like, okay, let him go, he's an old man, he will die soon. But he doesn't do that. And so civil wars are not good because people are fighting against each other. And here we have Israel and Judah. Judah is the southern part. Israel is the northern part. And they're going to be at war until they finally come together later on. But what I wanted to end with is the fact that David gave us a great example in continuing to respect Saul. David was Saul's enemy, but David never, David was Saul's enemy. But David never looked at Saul as his enemy, even though Saul made, made his life miserable. When David went back to, to the guys of Gilead and commended them for the way they took care of him, I just think it speaks volumes of how we should be, how we should act as Christians. And the fact that David, man, is inquiring of the Lord for all the little things he's supposed to do. Again, another great example. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Uh